In the Civil Rights Act of 1968, America does move forward. And the bell of freedom rings out a little louder. Hi there, this is A Little Louder, a podcast for walks, housers, and rabble-rousers, where we talk about fair housing, community development, and how we can use these issues to build people power and work toward equity and justice. I'm Christina Rosales. And I'm John Henneberger. And today we're talking about a pretty exciting topic. Um, We're talking about a couple of executive orders that the Biden administration has has made public and has signed, um, and they have to do with racial equity and fair housing. I think this is our first episode post-election, Christina. What a difference the public discussion is now than it was before the uh, the inauguration. Yeah, substantive poli- policy discussions. Can you believe it? We've been waiting a long time to have those on fair housing. I think it's important to, to just name these couple of executive orders. Uh, the first one is about taking the, the federal government taking this holistic view of racial equity throughout uh, the federal government, throughout all of the agencies and the practices. It's really about um, taking a look at policies wholesale and um, examining how our government, federal government, can, can ensure that communities of color, communities that have been neglected, or communities that have actively been discriminated against, that we kind of make things right across the whole federal government and all of the services and programs. The second one is really more in, in it is really in the Texas Housers wheelhouse, and it's, a, it's called a memo on redressing our nation's and the federal government's history of discriminatory housing practices and policies. This one is dated January 26th. The, the first one that I mentioned is, is from day one of the Biden administration, January 20th. The two executive orders that President Biden has issued regarding fair housing, which you talk about, Christina, make me reflect a little bit back on the previous executive order that had to do with fair housing, which President Clinton authored in 1994, which sought to poke HUD and the other cabinet agencies to pay attention to fair housing in the first place. I think this is really an interesting historical moment that after all these years, we're back to finally getting presidential leadership like we got from LBJ and like we got from Clinton in order to get these issues back on the table. Yeah, that sounds right to me. I want to flag that we start this podcast every episode with some words from from LBJ when he signed the Civil Rights Act of 1968, which is the Fair Housing Act. And he says the bell of freedom rings out a little louder. I think it's important that we provide that historical context of 1968 when that when that law was signed. It was signed on April 11th, and it was just one week after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The entire country was in turmoil. There were there were riots. There were in, in there were riots in 1967 that were studied by the Kerner Commission. The members of the commission wrote that we are moving toward a society that is separate and unequal. Those were the exact 
words that helped kind of make the, make the fair housing movement as robust as it was in, in 1968. And Christina, and, the, uh, the Kerner Commission talked directly about segregation, and the country just wasn't ready to hear that. And I think President Johnson wasn't ready to hear that at the time the Kerner Commission sent its recommendations out, and he sort of pushed that report aside in the wake of continuing civil unrest, riots in the cities, and the assassination of Dr. King, Johnson couldn't ignore that call for dealing with this underlying failure of our country's democracy, that of residential racial segregation. The Fair Housing Act had to come forward as a response to getting a handle on the anger that was felt in the African-American community over the inequality that Kerner Commission documented. The, so when the 1968 Fair Housing Act was signed, as you mentioned, John, President Johnson was not really ready to, to act on those policies. His administration was on its way out. Then, um, then the Nixon administration came in, and this civil rights legislation was never really given the time of day in our country. It, it, it's been this, this hot potato that no one really wanted to touch over, over you know, the last 50-some years you know, John, you you have a whole list of of ways that different administrations have tried to come in and and do things, and and, um, and so so the Clinton administration, um, and then followed by the Obama administration. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, but I think it's also important to remember that uh, President Nixon's HUD secretary, George Romney, who's Mitt Romney's father, was one of the big champions of actually implementing the anti segregation, pro integration mandate of the Fair Housing Act, and he took steps that really angered white suburban voters, particularly in Michigan. He was heckled and jeered when he was in public, and Nixon basically shut him down and pushed him out of office. There was relatively little efforts to enforce the integration mandate of the Fair Housing Act until Bill Clinton in 1994 issued an executive order that required all the federal cabinet secretaries to review their practices to determine if they were consistent with the mandate of the Fair Housing Act to affirmatively further fair housing. Christina, you and I have talked a lot about the the difference between individual acts of discrimination and these sort of institutional or systemic acts of discrimination. You want to make that distinction here so we can all be on the same page? Yeah, I think that's important. So the the Fair Housing Act has two major themes, major intentions, and that is to prevent discrimination and then to reverse housing segregation. The Fair Housing Act prohibited discrimination um, in the sale and rental um, or financing of housing based on these protected classes, so race, color, national origin, religion, sex, and then later familial status and disability. So those are those like individual acts of discrimination where you apply for a mortgage loan and they tell you no, and it's because of one of, because you were in one of these protected classes because of who you are. That's the individual part of it. But then that second part of the, of the law is undoing the, the, the decades, that legacy of segregation. The Federal Housing, the Fair Housing Act acknowledges the role of government policy. Of, of, it acknowledges the role that the federal government had in, in creating that separate and unequal 
society that the Kerner Commission highlighted. And so one of the big mandates is to affirmatively further fair housing. And that's dealing with this, the systemic discrimination and segregation. And so those are, those are the things like the policies, like zoning laws, for example, in our cities that, um, that continue to, to perpetuate the segregation that, that we know today. We, we know that today a lot of our cities are just as segregated as they were in 1968. And so I think going back to our topic today about these executive orders, this is, this is the Biden administration's commitment is to, to look at how we have created the separate and unequal society that, that we know, and then what are we going to do about it? Nothing about fair housing has ever been easy. Let's be clear about that. It's been relatively easier to build political will around the notion that individual acts of discrimination against other individuals should be able to be challenged. And that is an important part of HUD's fair housing enforcement effort. When uh, a home buyer knocks on the door or a renter knocks on the door of a landlord and says, do you have a, a place that I can rent? And when you can prove that that landlord is discriminating against that individual because of their race or national origin or sex or familial status, HUD can investigate that. And I think there's a broad consensus politically that those type of discriminatory acts are priorities. But where we've not had political consensus and where we see this ongoing political struggle is over the institutional and systemic acts of discrimination which play now the disproportionate contribution today to the types of segregation that we're, we're trying to fight. And that's, you know, that's the, the bulk of, of the work of Texas Housers, that this that second part of the Fair Housing Act is is what our organization is is really committed to to advancing is is undoing that legacy of segregation and discrimination and and really pushing the federal government and specifically HUD to to do its job and and also pushing our state and local governments to to follow the law. So that's kind of where where our policy expertise where our efforts and our commitment are as, as an organization. And with the new Biden administration taking office, Texas Housers is, is eager to, to pick back up some of the things that, that, we, were, that we were working on before, before the Trump administration took office. So, you know, the 2015 Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Rule made clearer the requirement of that, that second part of the Fair Housing Act. And and it required like really robust community participation and engagement in cities and regions, you know, community plans. So we have sent a letter to HUD urging them to take a look at some of the complaints that we have filed during the duration of, of the Trump administration, where we have seen uh, localities and the state of Texas not following civil rights law and not following the, the Fair Housing Act. You know, we'll we'll post it on our website, and you can take a look. It's it's a long ten page document where we detail the ways that that we want HUD to investigate and do its job and enforce that systemic institutional um, mandate of of the Fair Housing Act. Some examples of those type of institutional problems that promote segregation, the type of things that we've been objecting to over the last four years unsuccessfully, and bringing to HUD's attention in the form of complaints, which they haven't chosen to investigate, include things like the location of public housing in Houston and in 
Galveston, where the local government continues to make that public housing only available in high-poverty neighborhoods that are served by schools that are low-performing, where there's really high levels of concentrated poverty and environmental dangers. Those are the type of institutional decisions that government makes which maintain segregation. The problems of HUD's systemic failure itself to maintain project-based Section 8 apartment developments to require the private owners that HUD gives money to to maintain a, a safe and healthy condition for the tenants who are overwhelmingly African-American. And then you look at other HUD properties in other parts of town, which are largely occupied by white tenants, and you find that those properties are well-maintained. That's what we mean by institutional or structural racism. Those are the type of issues and complaints which we've seen HUD has been very reluctant to investigate and to hold either itself accountable to change its policies or to hold states and local governments accountable to change their policies. Well, let's turn back to those executive orders, Christina, okay. because as you mentioned at the top of the program here, the the bell of freedom was ringing again in the form of these executive orders. Yeah. The first executive order, which is about advancing racial equity across government agencies and in all of the practices and programs of government agencies, that's the big that's a big thing but I, I want to be clear that there isn't there's this commitment but the, it's not actually doing anything quite yet except advancing some a, a review of a, a wholesale review of a lot of the policies and practices across agencies so it's, it's really more of a like study with a commitment to do something with the results of that and it's also creating a data working group because we uh, at Texas Housers we struggle with getting disaggregated data that shows how different um, ethnicities and races are, are faring um, with, uh, with programs and, and policies and, and funds and, and things like that. Let me put a, some language from the executive order on the table that illustrates what you're talking about, Christina. The January 20th executive order by President Biden directs his domestic policy council, led by former Ambassador Susan Rice, to, among other things, look at the data, as you're talking about, to determine what these efforts of these federal programs and state programs and local programs are actually doing for housing integration. I'm going to quote here from the president's executive order. Many federal data sets are not disaggregated by race, ethnicity, gender, disability, income, veteran status, or other key demographic variables. This lack of data has cascading effects and impedes efforts to measure and advance equity. Can you give us an example of how we see that in our work? Yeah, one one example, and we've, we've seen it just lately in the news, is that in, in Texas, we have these vaccines that are being distributed in various communities. It's hard to tell whether the vaccines are being distributed, the COVID vaccines are being distributed in a way that is equitable. We've seen a lot of just anecdotal evidence that everyone in line at these community centers, they are they're white, older people. And we are seeing that just anecdotally, there aren't a lot of people of color who have been able to access the vaccines for whatever reason. So there's something going on with the policies and the practices of distribution of this vaccine. 
when we are trying to find more information about it, there isn't data available about the race and ethnicity of a lot of the people who have received the vaccine. It's like pulling teeth sometimes to get state and local governments to actually get up off the information or even collect the information about the race and ethnicity and disability status of the people who get housing assistance. This has been particularly a problem for us with regards to disaster recovery housing. You can't know whether or not your programs are being administered equitably unless you're looking at those type of things, unless you're saying, well, how many African-Americans lost their homes and how many African-Americans does our program give funds to rebuild homes to? If you don't test it, you don't know whether you have equity. And what we've seen in the past is when you don't look for it, when you hide away from these type of problems, there's lots of opportunities for disparate racial treatment to go on. So just getting states and local governments to do this would be a big thing. And that's one of the parts of this executive order. Another part of the language, and I'll quote again, is consistent with these aims Each agency, that's each federal agency, must assess whether and to what extent its programs and policies perpetuate systemic barriers to opportunities and benefits for people of color and other underserved groups. The entity charged with doing this is, again, the Domestic Policy Council out of the White House, which will coordinate the efforts to, quote, embed equity principles, policies, and approaches across the federal government. Now, I know that a lot of people will hear this language and will think, okay, that's a lot of generalities, but that's an order issued on the first day of this administration, and it is such a complete reversal of the policies of the past administration. It says something very important that these issues of equity, of justice, of not ignoring the problems, but actually looking for whether equity is being achieved, are once again a priority. That gives us a lot of good feelings about the initial efforts of this administration to do the right thing. Yeah, that's right. In this executive order, it states plainly that based on what what the study of of all of these practices, policies, and what the data shows that the federal government should allocate federal resources to advance fairness and opportunity. That's a big deal. there's There's an understanding that the way things are structured, because we don't know enough, like these policies are are race neutral, as, as some would say, they do have impacts that are disparate based on on race and disability status and socioeconomic status. And so there's a commitment here to really make government policies and resources work for people who meet them. The second executive memorandum on January 26th has some really interesting language in it. And again, I'll quote, The federal government must recognize and acknowledge its role in systemically declining to invest in communities of color and preventing residents of those communities from accessing the same services and resource as their white counterparts. This is not only a mandate to refrain from discrimination, but a mandate to take actions to undo historic patterns of segregation. What we saw in the last administration is that HUD really stepped away from its role in doing what 
the Fair Housing Act intended. And what this administration is doing now is calling to to the Secretary of Housing and and Urban Development as soon as practicable to take all the steps necessary to examine what the Trump administration has done in in shirking those responsibilities to enforce fair housing and including the affirmatively furthering fair housing provision that we talked about at the top of the episode, as well as examining the, uh, the, the, the disparate impact rule which is another rule that we won't go into today, but I'm sure we'll do another episode at some point. But it's essentially what we're talking about. These race-neutral policies have a disparate impact on, on people of color and people with a disability status. So these are concrete things right now that it's like the very least the Biden administration is, is committing to. But there's more to that, and we really look forward to what else we're going to get done under this administration. It's, it's still early, um, and we still have a lot of hope for what can be done. And all of this triggered our letter to Secretary-designate Fudge, basically laying out 10 specific examples of institutional racism on the part of the federal, state, and local governments that have gone unaddressed in the last administration. One very important piece of this executive order is the concluding paragraph. It says, The Secretary of HUD shall take any necessary steps as appropriate and consistent with applicable law to implement the Fair Housing Act's requirement that HUD administer its programs in a manner that affirmatively furthers fair housing and HUD's overall duty to administer the act, including by preventing practices with an unjustified discriminatory effect. What we are going to definitely see, and we know this from what the administration has proclaimed, we'll see that reconstituted in some form. That was a law that was that was a regulation enacted at the end of the Obama administration, which was promptly suspended by Secretary Carson. And then later in the Trump administration, President Trump went on an attack on any amount of integration which HUD was urging on local governments as being an attack on white suburban communities, truly appalling statements coming out of a president and a complete repudiation of everything the Fair Housing Act stood for from 1968 to the present. So we'll see the reconstitution and the re-implementation of that AFH rule, which requires local governments to look at what they're doing to make sure that they are mitigating the segregative effects of their institutional practices. And we'll also I'm certain we'll see a re-adoption of the disparate impact rule, which Secretary Carson also sought to eliminate. And that has to do with the, the way that the standard under the law that allows claims of discrimination to be brought that are not instances where somebody says, I'm not going to rent to you because you're black, but that has the effect of doing exactly that. So we'll see those two things done. But what we're particularly focused on and we're really jazzed up about from these executive orders is the understanding of the federal government that it and state and local governments need to to affirmatively act on their end to lift these barriers that are maintaining segregation. It acknowledges the culpability and the responsibility of of government agencies institutionally in maintaining segregated neighborhoods, and it promises that HUD is going to use the power of the money that HUD gives to state and local governments to tell state and local governments that they can't do that anymore, and they need to figure out how to dismantle segregation instead of using the federal money that they get to continue to maintain it. 
Yeah, and we we will see how far all of this goes. It's a, it's a new day, and we are cautiously optimistic and and ready to to do our part, really, because you know the Fair Housing Act has been has been around for fifty years, and it's really up to the administration to enforce it and to to use it, and um, and it's all it's up to local governments and to follow the law. And our role as advocates is is to to use this as a tool to advance justice in our in our work in our communities. So I I'm really looking forward to the next few years um, based on what I'm seeing. Me too. I think that it's really important that we not sit back and say, okay, these lovely words and these two executive orders solved the problem. They clearly didn't. But what they did is they acknowledged the problem. And they pledge to do something about it. And it's really up to citizens. It's up to the people who are the subjects of this segregation. And it's up to the rest of us who care about living in an integrated community and building the beloved community to hold HUD accountable and to hold all the federal agencies accountable. The Department of Transportation over where they, where they build highways, the, um, the, the various agencies that all indirectly contribute to residential racial segregation. The president says they're going to, we're going to stop that. And so we just have to hold their feet to the fire and demand that they actually do it. All right, let's do it. All right, well, that is our show. Uh, Little Louder is produced by John Henneberger and me, Christina Rosales. You can find our show notes at texashousers.org. And our music is by J.T. Herchmack. And we'll see you next time. See you, Christina. Bye. Bye.